May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning. And by, may the words from my mouth be just what we need to hear. We have a choice, don't we, about our attitudes in life. We can have an attitude of hope, or we can have an attitude of dread. We can have an attitude of trust, or of fear, of optimism, or of gloom and doom. A misprint of a weather forecast said this, there's a 5% chance of today and tomorrow. I sure hope that the chances are better than that for today and tomorrow. In a Frank and Ernest cartoon, you see Frank waking up slowly from his sleep. He looks out the window and he sees the sun coming up and he says, well, the sun is rising in the east. So far, so good. You may know that the great comedian W.C. Fields died with money in banks, hundreds of banks, all over the world, many which were never found. Whenever he went to a new city or a new country, a place where he hadn't been before, he opened a bank account and put money in it. And very often he used fake names, and he kept no records of his deposits in those banks. At one point, he told a close friend that he, thinks he, had, he thought he had about 700 different accounts, and he knew exactly where they all were. Unfortunately, Mr. Fields, when he died, he didn't tell anyone the location of these accounts or the names that he used. And so they did find at one point that he had an account in Berlin that had about $50,000 in it, and that was a lot of money in those days. And during the bombing of Berlin, all traces of that bank and his money were destroyed. Field explained, Fields explained when someone asked him about this strange behavior, why would you do that, spread your money all over the place like that? He said that he did this because he had had a dream many times where he saw himself stranded in a strange city without any money and without any friends. And this dream caused fear in his heart. So he would open these anonymous accounts in every city where he played. There was once a story also about a man who was filled with so much dread that it drove him crazy. When he fell in love with the woman of his dreams, he pretended that he didn't care about her. He was afraid that if he gave in to his feelings of love for her, that she'd reject him and that He'd lose her as a friend. And so he kept up this pretend disinterest so long that he almost did lose her. When he did finally ask her to date and to marry him, and she accepted, he nearly went crazy planning a honeymoon. He told everybody that they would be going to Florence and Venice. Instead, he took her to Naples, which was in the opposite direction. This way he felt he could trick the misery that he knew would be waiting in Florence and in Venice. That was the only way he could enjoy his honeymoon and his time spent with his wife in Naples. There are some people who live with so much dread and fear and doom in their lives that they just can't see any possibility of joy. Even when life is good, they just know that this is great, but it's not going to last. I know it won't last. 
Somewhere, sometime, somehow, something out there is going to happen to them. And it's going to destroy their plans. And it's going to ruin their fondest dreams. It's going to crush everything that matters to them. Well, that's one attitude toward life. Fortunately, it's not the Christian attitude. It wasn't Paul's attitude, for sure. He knew that we live in a difficult world. He had experienced more than his share of sorrow and suffering and pain. But he knew that somewhere, sometime, somehow, something good was out there that was going to happen to him. He knew that tomorrow would be a better day than today. He believed that lasting joy and peace were not only possible in life, but would someday be permanently real after this life. That's why he wrote these words in the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Advent. This is the season of the year when we celebrate the God of hope. The mood of Advent should be one of joyful anticipation. The kids called it countdown to Jesus' birthday. It affects all of us. Some of you remember the 1970s. It was a very turbulent time in our country. There was a Doonesbury cartoon that showed the campus radical, whose name was Megaphone Mark, falling off to sleep. And above his head, you could see his thoughts. It said, it's Christmas Eve as a tired, disappointed, and disillusioned student activist drops off to sleep. The next frame shows him sleeping. And then the frame after that shows him stirring around, startled by an unexplained noise. And in the last frame, this guy, this pessimist, said, I thought I heard reindeer. The joy of the season of the year was intruding even to that cynical megaphone mark. The bells, the lights, all the sounds of this special time of year speak to us about hope, love and peace and goodwill are still possible. There is more than a 5% chance of today and tomorrow. Because of a baby born more than 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem, hope came into our world. Hope that never, ever ends and never, ever fails. There's a beautiful story back in the book of Genesis. Abraham, who was still Abram at that time, is complaining to God that he has no heir, nobody to, no, no child to pass his house on to someday. And so God brings Abraham outside and he says to him, Abraham, Abram, look up at the heavens. Number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then God said to him, so shall your descendants be. This is the call that God always gives to us in times of doubt, in times of despair, in times of difficulty. Look up and you'll see hope. During the Advent season, we're looking for only one star, a star that shines much brighter than all the rest, the star of Christmas, always the world's greatest symbol of hope. Paul wrote 
As I read a moment ago, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Advent is, first of all, hope for the world. H.G. Wells wrote a story called On the Days of the Comet. It's pretty typical science fiction fantasy. And a mysterious green vapor descends, comes down from the clouds above. And this vapor covers the whole earth. And this vapor immediately puts all the people of the earth into a deep sleep for three days. After three days, when they wake up, something amazing has happened. They're completely changed inside. No more petty quarreling and fighting among people. No more fighting among nations. Instead of people being selfish and seeking fame and fortune and power and wealth for themselves, the people begin to serve one another. They begin to love one another. Kindness and generosity become more important than any greed or success. The perfect society begins where the dignity of every human being is honored. The prophet Isaiah looked forward to that kind of a day. He said, when the wolf will live with the lamb, as Lauren read for us this morning, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Of course, Isaiah was not predicting a green vapor that would come down out of the clouds. He was predicting a shoot that would come from the stump of Jesse, in other words, a descendant of Jesse. That is Isaiah's way of saying that there was a Messiah who was coming, who would establish a new world order someday, who would bring in a new kingdom where love is more important than power and serving others is more important than dominating others. John the Baptist was the messenger of that Messiah. We heard his message. John's job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And when the Messiah came into the world, he brought with him the seed of a new kingdom, a kingdom that is still alive and at work today. It's a kingdom that lights up the darkness everywhere. And the good news is proclaimed. No one can hold back that kingdom. No evil can resist that kingdom. No wonder John spoke with such strong words about the wrath which was to come. The gates of hell itself cannot prevail against the kingdom which came into the world when Jesus was born. No wonder the angel sang in heaven and wise men bowed before this baby, adoring him. Philip Brooks was right when he wrote about what happened in that little town of Bethlehem. He said, the hopes and fears of all the years were met in thee tonight. Sounds from like a familiar song, doesn't it? It happened. Advent is hope, first of all, for the world. But Advent is also hope for you, for me, for us as individuals. In London during World War II, Hitler's warplanes were bombing the city. To save the children, trainloads of kids were loaded into boxcars of trains and taken out and evacuated out to the country where their bombs were not being dropped. And somebody asked one young boy, 
where are you going? And he said, I don't know, but the king knows. We're in that same situation. We don't know what the future holds, but our king knows. And our king is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is the season of the year when we are reminded that this is God's world. He is at work in this world, and even though we may be surrounded by darkness at times, we know there's a light shining in the darkness. We sang about it this morning. The choir sang about it. And the light, the light, the darkness cannot overcome. Even the thought of death cannot take away our joy because we have anticipation, anticipation of that light. I read a charming story about a man called Doc Brackett. Doc Brackett was a beloved old physician whose office was open to the poor and needy, and he took care of whoever needed to be taken care of, regardless of whether they were able to pay him or not. He was a good doctor, he was a kind man, and he would get up in the middle of the night, even on the coldest nights, and he would ride for miles to help a sick or injured patient. Everybody in town knew Doc's Bra Doc Brackett's office was over Rice's Clothing Store. And it was a narrow flight of stairs that you had to go up to. And so at the foot of the stairs, there was a sign that said, Dr. Brackett, office upstairs. Dr. Brackett never married. The day he was supposed to marry, he got a call to go out into the country and help a sick child. And his bride-to-be was angry and canceled the wedding. But the child's parents were very grateful when the child recovered. For 40 years, the people of that town climbed up and down those stairs to Doc Brackett's office, and he never once turned anyone away. He lived to be in his 70s, and then one day, he sat down on his sofa in his office, and he died. Doc Brackett had one of the biggest funerals that, were, that ever took place in those parts. Everyone from miles and miles around came to show their respect and to thank him for what he had done for them. The people of the town wanted to put up a nice tombstone for him, but they couldn't decide what should be written on his tombstone. And this went on and on and on for a long time, and nothing was done. And then one day, someone went out to his grave and noticed that there was already a proper epitaph above his grave. The parents of that child that Doc Brackett had saved so many years ago had worried about him not having his grave marked. And so, because they had no money to buy a marker, they just went and took the sign from the front of Rice's clothing store at the bottom of the steps at Doc Brackett's office, and they put it over his grave. Now he had a fitting marker. It read very simply, Dr. Brackett, office upstairs. During this season of the year, we honor the Doc Brackett's of the world. And we say that not only is the world a better place because of them, but we also know 
that they rest and they live in a better place as well. Dr. Brackett, office upstairs. The God of hope. You and I are free to choose the attitude that we have toward life and toward death. We can believe that there's a 5% chance of today and tomorrow, or we can believe the good news of Christmas, that God is alive and well and at work in this world today, bringing in a kingdom of love and justice and freedom. We can face the future with fear, or we can trust God, the God who has sustained us through these past few years and has promised us that he will never forget us or forsake us, regardless of how good or bad things might get. We can choose to live in continued darkness, or we can step out into the light of hope and triumph and eternal victory. We can live for ourselves alone, or we can make the world a better place to live for all of us. Doesn't the good news of Advent and Christmas change our attitude about life? It should. Doesn't it make you anticipate that sometime, somehow, somewhere, something good is out there waiting to happen in your life? This is the kind of change that takes place this time of year when we think about the Christ child and when that thought of his coming the first time and when he'll come again is born anew in our hearts. Amen.